if only they had just delivered wings from Atlanta, then everything would have been fine. That's the exactly. one thing they, they missed. They forgot that'll, about the wings. They forgot that'll about the wings. That'll be what they what they add next. Hey there, welcome to Hot Takedown, the show where the hot takes of the sports world meet the numbers that prove them right or tear them down. Today is August 18th, 2020, and I'm Sarah Ziegler, the sports editor at 538. Joining me back in New York City is senior sports writer Neil Payne. Hi, Neil. Hey, Sarah. It's good to be back. Yeah. Did you have a good vacation? That included working on the podcast? Well, you know, <laughs> uh, that's just my commitment level to the podcast. I, I knew you guys would appreciate it. And uh, yeah, I, I never phone in a week, even though the last time I think I did phone it in, like literally. I, I mean, called in. Work. Technically, we're phoning it in all the time now since we're not in a studio, right? So, well, I have a fancy mic though um, that that uh, the powers that be uh, bought for me that I have in my apartment. But last week, I was just doing it through, you know, old-fashioned headphones, and the audio quality probably suffered. <laughs> so, so there you go. <laughs> uh, and from Los Angeles, is five thirty-eight contributor Jeff Foster. Hi, Jeff. Hello, Sarah. You noticed where I didn't interrupt there while you guys were talking about microphones. Well, I, I haven't even been introduced yet. Now you know. my thing is that I try to draw out uh, the combo with Neil as long as possible before introducing you to see if you will interrupt. But but it, it, we're playing a little chess match here. I sensed <laughs> you were doing that and didn't take the bait. Wow, look at you. Playing. I'm just a pawn in this game, by the <laughs> That's way. That's true. Yep, you are. Yep. Yeah. It's just me and Sarah playing mind <laughs> playing, games with each playing other. Playing 3D chess. <laughs> um, we're going to start uh, today's show with a correction. Always fun. Everything um, I said last week was wrong. Yeah, yeah. We retract everything and that Jeff said. Every <laughs> prediction I've made is wrong. And every fact I've offered is probably wrong. Just double check it. Just to make sure. <laughs> yeah, that's a, I think it's important to put our uh, listeners' minds at ease that we're really giving good information here. Um, no, last week we we pulled our second take from the Ringers MLB show, and I incorrectly identified the speaker as Zach Cram when it was, in fact, Michael Bauman. Thank you to the listener who left us a review on the Apple Podcast app to point out the mistake. And and see, I do I read your reviews, so please leave them, and not just when we screw something up. You can tell you can tell us how great we're doing too. Um, or you can point out all of Jeff's factual errors. We will enjoy that. I don't read the reviews, so just feel free to insult <laughs> me and mock me. Yeah, no. And, you know, <laughs> I won't ever read it. So, uh, yeah, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. <laughs> there you have it. On today's show, we'll dig into two different postseasons. We'll start with basketball and take a look at some of the storylines that have emerged from the NBA bubble and what to look for as the first round of the playoffs is underway. We'll then head to Canada and check out how the race for the Stanley Cup is shaping up in the NHL. And finally, we'll take a deep dive into data with our rabbit hole of the week. The first round of the NBA playoffs began on Monday with the Nuggets slipping by the Jazz, the Raptors trouncing the Nets, the Celtics beating the Sixers, and the Clippers handling the Mavericks. So we wanted to talk about the successes of the bubble in Orlando, what teams and players have stood out, and who might be in trouble. You can hear a slight hint of the latter in Stephen A. Smith's voice when he was asked on ESPN's first take whether he was jumping ship from the Lakers bandwagon based on their uneven restart. I refuse to answer that question. I refuse (laughs) to answer that question. Look, man, look, here's the deal. 
I on first take. I ain't going to completely jump off the bandwagon. I will confess to you that I'm incredibly nervous in the level of faith that I had in the Los Angeles Lakers prior to the pandemic, okay, doesn't necessarily exist based on what I have seen in the bubble. And not only that, not only am I not going to give a definitive answer, all right, I have a right to do so. Guess why? The Lakers have given me a right to do it. You know how they've given me a right to do it, fellas? Did you hear the news about how they're going to have, they're going to honor Kobe with like the Black Mamba stuff on their jersey? Did you notice with the print? I mean, read the article. You know what they said? After the first round. So in other words, they ain't even sure about what they're going to do in the first round. So we'll broaden this out to all three of our picks to win it all. Though I still, I cannot remember which one of you picked the Lakers and which one of you picked the Clippers. You just both have. I think I was Clippers, right? I got, I I got shamed. Yeah, right. LA is a good pick. No, (laughs) I think I got shamed into taking the the Clippers because they were not number one in our model. And uh, the joke is on you guys because now they are. Now they are. Yep. That's how strong your chalk is. You can will the model to change. (laughs) Speak the chalk into existence. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So the Jeff had the Lakers, Neil had the Clippers, Sarah had the Bucks. All right. Okay, so based on the games we've seen in the bubble so far, how are those three teams going to fare during during the playoffs? Are any of them likely to get upset this round? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Jeff. You're not at all worried about the Lakers. I don't think there's going to be any upsets in this in this round, and not counting the four or five, which let's face it, is not really an upset. Yeah, that's okay. So you're not worried about the Lakers and Portland at all. I I think like it's not obviously like you don't want to play Dame when he can score like what 60 points a night <laughs> if he chooses. Um but I just feel like their defense is bad. They have no one to guard LeBron. They they have no bigs. Like Davis will have his way. I I just actually think it's kind of weirdly a good matchup for them. Um their offense has been anemic but i think this will like this is a good way to get their offense going um but i i think the, i think portland will win i don't think it'll be a sweep yeah no i think i mean their offense has been anemic but it's also been games that they didn't care about i mean they've, yeah. they they sewed up the number one seed so like i mean they're just trying to figure out the new guys in the rotation right i mean i just i don't know i have a hard time worrying too much about the lakers here but maybe i put too much faith in lebron at all times which is very possible. <laughs> but that's why it's uh, like it's a little difficult to read the tea leaves of the I guess it was the end of the regular season, the restart, the seeding games, whatever we want to call this, um, because the Lakers didn't look great during that stretch. They were probably uh, they and the Bucks were probably the two most disappointing teams or at least like lackluster teams. Um, maybe you could throw the Pelicans in there, too, because we thought they might <laughs> make a push for the playoffs. I think we did one of our uh, last pre-pandemic episodes was about the Zion Williamson playoff push, and that didn't really materialize. Um, but like, yeah, like you said, it's it's tough to know whether the Lakers and Bucks actually cared or whether these were just tune-ups, especially when you consider the fact that there was even less to play for than usual because the seedings, yes, they determined the matchups, but they didn't determine home court because there is no home court. And uh, it, it's just less of an incentive to be the number one seed, I think, this year um, than in any other season when we're looking at the the final stretch of the regular season. Yeah, it's got preseason NFL vibes. 
Like, <laughs> oh no, that's terrible. <laughs> no, but I yeah, mean, pretty soon state, like, stage Rosenfels will the, show up. Yeah, I mean, like <laughs> no one who ever said uh, Patriots looked a little shaky in preseason, like <laughs> ever got proved right. So, no, never. I mean, but we don't know. I mean, we don't know. This is there's no precedent for what's happening but that's that's my guess yeah i think i'd feel i'd feel a little bit more nervous about the bucks if they weren't playing the magic in the in the first round i mean that they've that shouldn't be if that's a problem well then i guess we don't know anything um i mean portland is just does seem like a, a more difficult the most difficult of the first round underdogs I guess I don't know. Maybe the Mavericks could give the Clippers a, a run. I mean, I mean, they they were ahead for for uh, you know some chunk of that game last night, and it really uh, took you know an offense uh, the usual offensive explosion from uh, the Clippers to to be able to get there. I think they scored 118, um, and they weathered Luca's onslaught. So I don't know. Yeah. Porzingis was also kicked down for breaking up a fight. <laughs> yeah, that. Didn't really make any sense to me. I need to go back and watch that clip. I didn't understand what happened there at all. It was um, ridiculous. Like if you would take that, I hate doing the hockey NBA comparisons, but well, we're probably going to do more later. <laughs> you would have literally, if you take that amount of roughhousing as, as the bar to eject someone from the game, every player on the each hockey team would be ejected within the first five minutes of every game. <laughs> Um, yeah, that's interesting. <laughs> I do... the and maybe the goalies. Maybe the goalies. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I, it's that it doesn't really make sense to me. I wonder if there was a just a shorter, a shorter leash because of the lack of crowd or I don't know. It, that was a, that was weird. <laughs> I think there is. a. I think you're that is worth mentioning because I, I do think these refs can kind of hear everything now. So, I mean, right. we don't know what's being said, but I do think they are like, you know, more attuned to what's going on with the individual players around all that noise in the background. I think that's, I think that's true. Also, we have a hilarious story on the site today about um, swearing in the playoffs and, and how much the like mute button is being used, particularly for (laughs) Portland and specifically for Carmelo Anthony. Um, The mute button is used more in Portland games than in other games on TNT so far, which I find just delightful. I love that kind of stuff. It's all sports, though. I mean, the baseball guys are a bunch of potty mouths. <laughs> you hear them cursing left and right. That has been fun to watch the, like, to actually hear what's being said or that something is being said that the umpires are reacting to. Um, that I've really enjoyed that. The, like, the booing on the, the borderline calls and all that <laughs> has been really fun. Yeah, and it looked like the the volume of swearing would go down with Jeff McNeil injured, but uh, he came back in the lineup <laughs> and presumably was as filthy mouthed as ever. Thank goodness. <laughs> um, all right, well, back to the NBA. <laughs> Neil, you put together a list of players who are excelling in the bubble, according to our favorite stat, Raptor. Who has Raptor liked the most during these games? 
Yeah, so during the the warm up games, so this doesn't. Uh, I'm calling them warm up games. They were regular season games, but uh, in the lead up to the playoffs, uh, the most valuable player was not Damian Lillard, which was interesting to me. Um, he was very close. Uh, obviously, won unanimous MVP of the seeding games uh, according to the writers. But uh, James Harden actually was number one. He had 2.8 wins above replacement and basically doubled his uh, his Raptor per 100 rating from what it was already uh, in the regular season beforehand. So um, it's surprising a little bit that Houston didn't do better in those games, given how well he played. Uh, And then of course, Devin Booker was third and that makes a lot of sense seeing as how the Suns went a perfect eight. No in the restart, they didn't make the playoffs, but man, what a, uh, what a valiant run. And I'm sure that will fuel a lot of Suns hype going into next season. And then of course, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, you know, Dallas is a tough matchup for the Clippers to draw, but uh, we wrote about them before the, the pause that um, Dallas had a historically great offense and it wasn't just Luca. It was everyone on that team was, was efficient. So that's, you know, if you're looking for like a giant killer type of team, they probably would fit the mold maybe even better than somebody like Portland. Cause Portland has those defensive issues mm-hmm. uh, that, that you mentioned Jeff. Um, but still the Clippers are so good that we have, we give them a 93% chance of winning the series. Um, and obviously that includes winning game one, which is important, but yeah, so those those were the players that stood out to me uh, in in our model, uh, and I thought it was also you talked about Carmelo Anthony. I thought it was great to see that Carmelo Anthony also played really well for for Portland in those games, including hitting a really important shot to kind of clinch the uh, or close out the the play in game, uh, game one of a potential two game series, but it wasn't a two game series because they won <laughs> that- the first game. And the stats from that aren't counting toward anything, right? Like they that's go nowhere. The, that I, uh, is so bizarre. <laughs> as far as my understanding is that, yeah, that was neither a playoff game nor a regular season game, which is pretty strange in in NBA history. I think did to it have even a game happen? like that. Yeah, if <laughs> if you don't have Raptor for the game, did it actually even happen? No, no, it didn't. <laughs> um, well, so all right, so the best team in the bubble didn't actually make the playoffs that was the phoenix suns who went eight and oh in these final weird regular season games they they were fun to watch i was rooting for them pretty hard i mean not that i i I wanted portland to make it too i just wanted all the teams to make it is that okay yes Um, (laughs) i mean they probably should have made it over like the nets right i mean no offense to brooklyn but like and, and credit to brooklyn by the way for pulling off that win when they were like what was it? 20 point underdogs or more in the, in the, when they had nobody in their lineup, but at the same time, like uh, you look at them uh, and, and especially the way that they just got, you know, handed a easy uh, defeat in game one uh, against Toronto. And then you look at a team like the Suns, uh, and you're just like, maybe that team should, maybe, maybe we should have let a Western conference team in instead of the last Eastern conference team. Or maybe we shouldn't have invited them. Because if they win every game and they still don't make the playoffs, then I don't think we design this playoff (laughs) system very well. No, that's a really great point. Nobody like a lot of people thought, you know, why are the Suns here? And 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 I was like, oh, well, they won all the games. I guess they should have been there. But actually, right. Like if you won all the games and you don't get to go to the playoffs, then what was the point of any of that? Except for just (laughs) having eight more games to get ready for next Uh, year. I don't know. 
Well, all right. So Jeff, which teams that um, actually made the playoffs uh, performed the best in the in the restart? Which of those kind of managed to unlock a, a higher gear? Well, Portland, for sure. Um, they obviously needed to uh, to make the playoffs and they were awarded with uh, a series against the Lakers. So let's see what <laughs> happens there. The Raptors. Raptors look strong. They won last night. Um they're seven and one. Um, Indiana also played really well. So yeah, there's been some. I, I just don't know how much to take from it. Um, you know, I, I, I like as I refer back to my refer, uh, calling these games NFL preseason. So <laughs> maybe it means nothing. You know, it's like who went three and zero in preseason. Um, but yeah, no, Toronto looks good. Um, and Indiana looks good, and Lakers obviously probably would be the top of the list of teams that haven't looked so great i'm not seeing a ton of lakers on your list here neil um (laughs) yeah well no and and lebron was one i don't see lebron anywhere where is no well he was one of the most disappointing players uh of the first round in terms of playing well below his you know pre-pandemic level I, i guess that's what we can call it uh and he wasn't even the most disappointing laker because danny green was even worse compared to his uh previous level so i i i think it's safe to say none of the lakers except kyle kuzma really played to expectations during the bubble their best player was anthony davis during those games and he also had a lower raptor in the restart than he did before the restart um so i I, again i don't know if they were just treating it like it was a tune-up and maybe rightly so um but it is kind of a contrast and then you look at the team like the raptors who have played great so far and the raptor the like aside from the Kawhi year with the raptors this sort of just is in totally keeping with the Raptors uh, MO, right? Is to play really well in game and hustle really hard and overachieve in games that maybe don't matter as much. And then we don't know what to make of them in the games that, that do matter. And, you know, they might come out and get swept by LeBron uh, like they did in those pre Kawhi series. And who knows how, how it's going to shake out this year. Yeah, the Raptors are going the um, Washington Nationals model of you lose your best player and everyone writes you off and then you just maybe quietly win a championship. (laughs) (laughs) And wouldn't that be funny if they, I mean, they're the defending defending champions. I mean, and we're all just like, oh, wouldn't it be cute if they won a championship? They are the defending champions. I know, and it's so difficult to remember that or like remind yeah. yourself of that because like think about what where we all were, but where Kawhi was, what what was happening in the world yeah. when the, the Raptors won the championship and then compare it to now. And it's like, do we even exist in the same dimension <laughs> uh, anymore? So you could forgive us a little bit for acting like they they are the defending champs, but that that defending championship was like 10,000 years ago. Yeah. Okay, so it had been a little while since we checked in on the NBA. How do you guys think the league is doing with the bubble? Has the NBA been the kind of like leader in sports coronavirus response that Adam Silver wanted it to be? No, I think baseball has been the leader. Um, (laughs) I mean, the the Cardinals have played nine games. Oh, ten. Ten Ten games. They got ten ten in. Yeah, um, they're like 10 or so behind the other teams. Uh, no, I think, uh, honestly, this is the the one person who's coming off the worst here is Rob Manfred. 
Uh, always, it, always and forever. I hate to bring <laughs> baseball into the conversation, but we are talking about all sports in the in the age of the pandemic. And it's showing that, you know, they baseball really didn't seriously consider a bubble. I mean, I guess they, you know, we definitely talked about it. It was, you know, Arizona or whatever they were going to do. But I don't think that I, I never got the sense the league really embraced the idea or thought it was feasible. And I think they probably should have because look what's happening. And we don't know. It could get even worse. Well, and I think the players union also um, shot it down like it was yeah. sort of a, a joint effort. Yeah. And probably, you know, the logistics of it would have been difficult. Not that I'm sitting here defending Rob Manfred. But they are talking about doing a bubble for the playoffs, which I think is interesting because the NBA and the NHL have been such great kind of proofs of concept for that, where I think that the the real proof that the NBA has been doing so great is that they're like the coronavirus news is, is almost like non-existent. Baseball has to do it for the postseason because it, how bad is it going to look if this if this kind of, you know, team outbreaks is happening in the middle of the playoffs, I mean, it can't, I mean, it just ruins the whole season at that point. And they're, it's, they're on such thin ice right now anyway, that they almost, it's almost mad. I mean, look, I was skeptical. I, you, we could probably go back and pull some tracks of me saying that the bubbles weren't going to work. And, you know, how do you control all the employees of Disney world and all these people coming in and out and you know, they, they've, they've made it work. So credit to them. Yeah. I think that's a, that is a really good point. I mean, we, you know, Lou Williams leaving the bubble. We all knew about it. Like immediately. We all, we all knew um, before it happened that Lou Williams would leave the bubble. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's fair. Um, I mean, but it I, worked out fine. It wasn't like a Zach Plesak, Mike Clevenger right. situation. No, it wasn't a Mike Clevenger situation. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I, but the policing and I mean, and the maybe policing is the wrong word, but like the, the, like, we're going to stop this in its tracks. We're going to, we're going to quarantine you if you leave. I mean, the the different levels of quarantine, if you left for different reasons and had, you know, different contacts outside of the bubble. I mean, they they thought this through in a way that non-bubble leagues like baseball uh, didn't. And and I really appreciate that about the NBA and the WNBA and the NHL. I mean, these bubbles have really given us they've given us sports in a time when we didn't think we would get sports and i'm pretty grateful for that um but i think that players also deserve a lot of credit for their discipline um you know throughout this whole thing they are a big part of why the bubble is working um and you know i think we're even seeing this like our bar for where things would be has shifted a lot i think in the last couple months where we were talking about like oh our bubbles even going to work and baseball has no chance of working because you know they don't even have a bubble now it's kind of shifted things where because the players i think have done such a great job of of being disciplined there have been no cases to speak of in the bubbles uh, and it seems like those are pretty good bets to finish without a hitch you know knock on wood yeah that's you know a testament to them and the and uh, you know the discipline that that the vast majority of players have shown so i think that we maybe didn't give enough credit to just the players ability to you know stay focused and avoid um you know getting it putting aside the zach please of the world 
All right. I think we can end this discussion here for now. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back to talk about the NHL playoffs. We have so many sports right now that we have a whole other postseason we need to talk about today. The NHL is well into its first round of the actual Stanley Cup playoffs after the qualifying and seeding round robin situation that kicked off hockey's postseason. The NHL also conducted a draft lottery last week for the eight teams that made the qualifiers but didn't make the playoffs. Those teams included a couple, the Pittsburgh Penguins and Edmonton Oilers specifically, that are pretty good teams but just got unlucky in the chaos that is postseason hockey. But instead, the number one pick went to the New York Rangers, who will likely select Alexis Lafreniere as the cherry on top of their rebuilding effort. We know how certain New Jersey Devils fans who co-host this podcast feel about the Rangers' good fortune, but the Athletics' Sean McIndoe and ESPN's Greg Wyshynski were largely positive about the lottery on the Puck Soup podcast. Like, at the end of the day, I don't want him to go to any team that would have been a playoff team un- under, like, traditional round of 16 rules. I'm happy that a non-playoff team... Yeah, so under- can, yeah. We all sh- yeah. can we shut up for once and for all with the lectures about the draft lottery is not meant to blah, 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 and all of this garbage we've had to hear? Like, a team that would have been in the bottom 15 won the lottery. Can we just yeah, all be it's happy? Great. It's It was a long shot. They would have had... But they could have won any other year. Uh, we did... We, we, can finally, I hope, put this uh, stupid talking point to rest. I'm I'm happy that it happened that way. I would have hated if if a, if a playoff team had won. Um, Winnipeg, you know, deserving through points percentage and all that. Uh, but like, look, it. I'm just going to speak to you as an American. You can close your ears, Sean. Uh, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, Austin Matthews, Patrick Laine, Matthew Kachuk, Elias Pettersson, Quinn Hughes have another person playing, especially on a small market Canadian team that otherwise could be, like, a foundational player for, like, Pittsburgh or New York. So, I've said my piece. So, Neil, what do you think about this new and improved Rangers team? I'm just kidding. We're not going to torment Jeff like this. No, it's fine. I, look, <laughs> we've won three cups since they've won a cup. So they have some <laughs> catch-up to do, you know? Nice. I like it. I, I, like, I like that. Um, all right. Do you guys agree with the take that it was important to have Lafreniere land on a U.S. team, given how focused the league is on growing its audience in the States? For the record, those guys were basically saying that it was rigged. So I don't know <laughs> if I agree with that take. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's a long history of New York uh, based, you know, lottery rigging conspiracy theories we'll say just google the frozen envelope to know what i'm talking about (laughs) right well i mean if it had if the pick had gone to edmonton that would have been that would have been kind of a black eye for the nhl wouldn't have wouldn't it have been well i mean the like 10 other first overall picks have gone to edmonton it feels like in the last 10 years so why should this be any different (laughs) no but i think uh, you know uh, this I think there is a little bit of a t- uh, you know push and pull between um, the the idea that the U.S. the NHL wants U.S. teams to succeed, especially big media market teams to succeed. There was a conspiracy theory floating around that one of the reasons why they even did the the expanded play in round was to be able to give the Rangers a chance to get into the round of sixteen, which of course they promptly uh, flopped in instead, uh, and and to give you know, a team like the Canadians who did 
take advantage of it. So it wasn't just a U.S. team thing. It was maybe a major market, big fan base team thing. But it's it's kind of easy to see that in the context of, you know, this number one pick going to the Rangers of, oh, well, it's just another way in which the NHL is funneling talent to the big markets, you know, but I, I don't think there was any real conspiracy behind that. In fact, you could probably make a better case that the playoff format was more of a conspiracy than the, the uh, you know, lottery thing. Yeah, I, I agree. I think if the Penguins had won it, it would have looked bad. There would have been a lot of, you know, grumbling over that. A, a team that probably uh, shouldn't have been in the lottery, um, right. you know, to get that kind of star power to add to their existing star power would have would have been a little dodgy. Whereas the Rangers, you know, it, if this, they were outside the playoffs and, and they would have been in the lottery anyway. So it's not the end of the world. But I, I do think uh, Gary Bettman, who's been the commissioner for what, 150 years now? <laughs> since the dawn Feels like it. Feels like um, it. He obviously is obsessed with, you know, I'm just dubious over this making hockey the most. Look, Americans know what hockey is. They either like it or they don't. I, I think this dream that it's going to one day be equal to the NBA is it's not going to happen. And and frankly, if he goes to, let's say Montreal gets knocked down, he goes, a Quebec-born player goes to Montreal, that that's more exciting to me. If he goes to Winnipeg, it might not mean much for the national ratings, but people in Winnipeg are going to be more excited, like pound for pound than any other city. Um, so I don't know what we're trying to do here. We're trying to get a we're trying to get them to go to an American team, but but not the Devils, no, because no one likes them, but not Nashville because no one pays attention to them, and not Florida because no one likes them, and Anaheim's <laughs> too small and not them. So it, it really just leaves the, the the Rangers and the Red Wings. It has to be one of the original six teams, not in the playoffs, that's in a big market, and they need star power. I mean, it, people in New York know about the Rangers. The Rangers need to win for them to be more popular. So maybe this will help. But I just don't think like injecting one star on a team is going to have that big of an impact in terms of the overall popularity of the sport. I just need to fact check you real quick there on saying that all Americans um, understand what hockey is. I'm going to just say no, but- that, that it's not true. Uh, this this one American does not really. <laughs> You've lived in parts of America where hockey is wildly popular and you don't like it. You're not going <laughs> to suddenly start liking it. I'm trying. No, probably not. I mean, I am trying. Are you trying? I guess I'm you're kind of trying. I, Are you I, trying, I, I have watched some playoff hockey. So listen, when I saw that a game was in its fifth overtime, I tuned in. <laughs> that is my hockey dedication right there. Um, all right. Well, so what, Neil, which teams benefited the most from the qualifying round? I mean, there were some pretty big upsets. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, going in, we talked about the teams that had gotten in uh, to the chance to play for the round of 16 in in situations in which they really would never have been able to make the playoffs if they had actually just played out the rest of the regular season if coronavirus hadn't happened. And the Canadiens were the team that were, I think, least likely to make the playoffs of any of the teams that that actually got into the round of 24. And they ended up winning against uh, the Penguins in a pretty big upset. And, and now they're in the uh, they're they're in a competitive series, at least against the Flyers who are the number one uh, seed in the East. So to me, they are the, the huge winners in this. They could still win this series. 
and I don't even I, I struggle to kind of understand how they're even doing this because I don't <laughs> think they're that good. Um, uh, but but at the same time, they're you know, they played above their heads in this. Um, another team that stands out to me is the Chicago Blackhawks. They upset the Oilers in the qualifying round and they are down. 3-1 against the Golden Knights, so they're probably not going to win that series, but you just look at it, and they gave themselves a chance to get in, uh, and they were another team that had extremely small odds of making the the round of 16 if the season had been allowed to play out uh, otherwise. Um, but uh, in general, there were a lot of upsets in that qualifying round, and I don't know how many of them are actually going to make a huge impact on the, uh, the, the overall cup race, because you know if you compare last season's first round to this season this season looks kind of stable i mean you have some <laughs> weird ones like the islanders are about to sweep the capitals that's weird um you, you know the flames could knock off the stars uh and the canucks are giving the blues a real tough fight uh although the blues have kind of fought back uh recently but yeah i mean it, it looks less weird than last year's first round did when like all of the number one seeds got knocked off and, and it just was pure chaos for the first two rounds, I think. Yeah. The hockey seeding is, is, is basically as close to irrelevant as you can get in any tournament form, <laughs> format in sports, I think. So, and so is home ice. I mean, that's one of the big reasons why it's irrelevant is we did a story on this where we found that home ice in the playoffs is barely an advantage in hockey. It is sort of funny that we saw like so many upsets in the, in the qualifying round. And now the first round is just sort of boring. I mean, it's not, it's not boring, but it's very, it's predictable. It's chalky. Well, that makes sense though. Right. I mean, if you get rid of some of the teams that actually looked on paper, like they were pretty good, like the penguins, like the Oilers, like, I guess the Leafs, uh, you know, who knows what to make of them. But, uh, you know, a lot of the teams that you could sort of see being candidates for a first round upset in the actual playoffs, the round of 16, got knocked out in the round of 24. And so they never even made the round of 16. And now you have, you know, relatively weaker teams on paper, at least in the round of 16 that then can be dispatched e more easily in the first round. And you do have a six seed in the Islanders up 3-0. I mean, if the if the Jazz were up 3-0 on Denver, it would be considered a major upset. It's just... <laughs> a, a I don't know that it would, though. I feel like a lot of NBA fans don't really even know that the Jazz and Nuggets are like different teams. <laughs> now, <laughs> one NBA fan thinks that, and his, and his name is Neil Payne. <laughs> yeah, but the Islanders one, that's weird. You... You are right, Jeff. That one is weird. That's a huge upset, especially if it's a sweep. Um, and then the Islanders can, it's, a, you know, it's not even a bracket. I was going to say they could go on and face maybe the somewhat uh, shaky at times and without their top goalie, Boston Bruins, in the next round. But I don't even know if that's true because it's not, it's going to be reseeded every round. It's not like a straight bracket, which I, I, I should do a get off my ice <laughs> about that, get off my court, whatever we're calling it, uh, someday. Playoffs should be brackets. We should be able to I fill agree. them out before the playoffs start and track our progress. None of this reseeding. Do you think the <laughs> NFL should do that also? Yeah. Like avoid reseeding. Yes. I think it I'm should all that. be, yeah, bracket. Yeah, I think it should be a bracket. All right. I'm, this I'm has more, been... more pro brackets. 
Here. This has been Get Off My Eyes by Neil Payne and Jeff Foster. Um, all right. Well, you brought up uh, Boston there briefly. So Bruins goalie Tuka Rask opted out of the NHL bubble on Saturday just before game three of Boston series against, series against Carolina. Great timing, Tuka. Yeah, it was pretty amazing. Um, he cited the need to be with his family. He does have a newborn and a couple Infant of other young one. kids. We're not exactly sure what what happened there. But he also so, had made some comments, I think, in the lead up to it where he was like, I'm not really feeling this, you know, <laughs> so I don't know that it was that big of a surprise. Well, so after the the Bruins game two loss of the Hurricanes, Rask said to the media, to be honest with you, it doesn't really feel like playoff hockey out there. There are no fans. So it's kind of like playing an exhibition game. <laughs> he was basically it's, like, this sucks. It's possible his heart wasn't in it. He, he I, then went on to say, this feels a lot like the NFL preseason. <laughs> All comes full circle. But I want to talk about what he actually said. Is that a is that a fair criticism? You know, we're all we're grading everything on a pandemic curve right now. But are we seeing a similar intensity in these hockey playoffs as we have in other in previous years? I think it's like everything else in the pandemic. Everything else is just kind of suckier. You know, my daughter's <laughs> starting school. School is suckier. She's staring at a Zoom. You know, the convention last night was pretty sucky compared to a, a normal convention like it's just you got to bake that in it's just like normal conventions are also pretty sucky right. i just but it was just that you could there. tell without the crowd pre-taped it was just not as good so it, it it's actually i think a pretty fair comparison um so yes everything is kind of resembles the old thing but just a little bit worse so he is right but i mean he's he was the only player to do this i think you know, it's a little unusual, um, but, you know, he can do whatever he wants. I mean, I don't I don't totally blame him either. Right. And the, the players seem to be taking it just as seriously as ever. I mean, I don't think there's been like a drop off in in effort or anything like that. I mean, just ask the Blue Jackets and Lightning who played five freaking overtimes in game one of their series. But I, I do think like think of think of the image, you know, granted, you know, the last it seems like every year the team on the wins the cup on the road and it's a little muted when they celebrate. But when they lift up that cup and there's literally no one in the stadium, it's going to be. Who will boo Definitely Batman? muted. Yeah, <laughs> who will be, boo Batman? It's going to be awkward. Um, <laughs> so that, I think, will crystallize how this year is not quite the same, but I think the on-ice product is, is pretty close to the same, if not exactly the same. So I don't think you guys have gone on the record yet for who you think will win it all. So let's let's do that. Where is the Stanley Cup headed next? Neil, who you got? I uh, have been on the lightning bandwagon uh, just for the storyline of it, you know, coming back from the most humiliating loss uh, maybe ever uh, any team ever had, certainly any favorite ever had in terms of melting down in the playoffs last year. Um, so it would be great to see them when I likened it in the past to the Virginia men's basketball team winning uh, after being beaten by a 16 seed the previous year. So that would be my pick. Although the Colorado Avalanche have been very, very entertaining. Um, and and I love Kale McCarr, one of my favorite players. Great name. Check him out. <laughs> what about you, Jeff? Who you got? I, um, I, I abstain. No, I, I mean, what? look, I think you uh, can't do that. I'm no, not going to do that. Of course I'm not going to do that. Um, I said to Neil about a week or two ago that I like the Flyers, who obviously, 
you know, have looked good. But then again, I, by the time people are listening to this, it, that series could be 2-2, and I would re- regret it immediately. But I don't think Montreal is very good. I do think Philly's deep. I like Carter Hart, their goalie. So I think, yeah, they finally uh, have a goalie. That's that's a new phenomenon for the Flyers. They've literally never had a goalie, um, even when they were winning. So I, I think I, I'm going to take the Flyers. As, All as, right. as I can't believe that came out of my mouth, but they're <laughs> the Flyers and they're Philly sports. Uh, but why not? I also like Vegas. I mean, I look at me. I've turned into Neil take, talking about the one seeds. I think Vegas <laughs> looks really strong, too. Okay, well. I what think... about you, Sarah? No, no, no. you have <laughs> to give team. us your pick. Yeah, I... These picks will be better than ours. I no, <laughs> because I know nothing. I was going to pick Vegas, but you just picked them along no, with Philly. You get so Vegas. you get Vegas. You can't give me both one seeds. Even I, if if I had heard that, I would have protested it. So <laughs> if you had heard the thing that just came out of your mouth, if, if some if one of you had said what I just said, I would have <laughs> loudly mocked it. <laughs> yeah, no that that sounds right. Um, that that. That makes sense. All right, yeah, I, I I like Vegas. I uh um they're a fun story. They I like I like new ish, plucky teams. So um yeah, I got nothing. I'm I'm taking Vegas uh, based on my zero knowledge about this. I'll start watching them now. All right, well let's <laughs> leave this here for now. We'll be back in a moment for our rabbit hole of the week. At 538, we often find ourselves falling down various rabbit holes of data. Some lead to stories, some don't. We end each week's show with one of these descents, the hot takedown rabbit hole of the week. Neil, take it away. Yeah, you know, it always warms my heart when I see a player join an obscure club because I know that we might be able to get a rabbit hole out of that. And sure (laughs) enough, that was the case this weekend when wide receiver Chris Hogan signed with the New York Jets. You might not see the significance immediately in that uh, random signing, but that means that he has now been a member of every single team in the AFC East. He was on the Miami Dolphins practice squad when he was a rookie. Then he signed with the Buffalo Bills, played for the Patriots, and now he has completed his division collection this week. So I wanted to know, how rare is that? Well, it's a little complicated because stat sites like Pro Football Reference don't actually list a season entry for a player if a team didn't play for them in the regular season or the playoffs. So according to their data, Hogan himself wouldn't even qualify for this club. But if you use the the list of players that they have and the teams uh, that, that they played for in the regular season or the playoffs, there are two players in NFL history since 1960, caveat there, that's when my data starts, uh, who have played for all four teams in one of the current divisions. Hunter Ennis, who is a quarterback for the Broncos, Raiders, Chargers, and Dallas Texans, I'm sorry, Kansas City Chiefs, so all members of the modern AFC West in the early 1960s, and a kicker named Jose Cortez, who played for all the current NFC East teams in the 90s and the 2000s. And that's it in the NFL. Only two players can say they did that. There are two others that pulled off kind of, they came close and it was kind of a cool double. Uh, Shane Graham, longtime kicker. He played for three of four teams in two different divisions, both the AFC East and the NFC South. And uh, lineman Carl Wilson played for three of four teams in both the AFC East and the NFC West. But division completionists are rare in football, despite the fact that you would think a four-team division is just small enough that that more players would do it. 
Uh, so I also looked at the NBA, where it is also rare. Since 1951, only two players have been on every team in one of the current divisions. Matt Barnes, who played for the entire Pacific Division during his career, and Ronald Flip Murray, who played for the entire Central Division. Uh, there are also two guys that came close, just like uh, Shane Graham. Chucky Brown, a 90s <laughs> power forward who played for four of the five teams in both the Southwest and the Pacific divisions. And Tony Massenberg, another 90s era power forward who wore four or five possible jerseys in both the Atlantic and the Southwest divisions. Brown should have played for the Grizzlies or Clippers. Massenberg should have played for the Knicks or Mavericks. Then they could have collected all of them. Uh, you see more of this in baseball. And the really the first player that sprung to mind for me after reading about Hogan was former Braves and Mets outfielder Jeff Francoeur, who it felt like he played for every team in the NL East in his career, but somehow he missed out on playing for the Washington Nationals, so he only played for four of the five teams in the NL East. Now, I should say Francoeur is, is only 36. I know he's kind of broadcasting, but maybe he can make a comeback. Maybe he could play for the Nationals and, and collect all of the teams in the division. Uh, but unlike Francoeur, seven players have suited up for every team in one of the current divisions in baseball. Five did it with things sort of configured in their current divisional alignment. Steve Pierce and Kelly Johnson played for every team in the AL East. Cesar Isturis played for every team in the NL Central. And Matt Herges and Steve Finley played for every team in the NL West. Now, there are two more who did it before the current divisions existed, so they wouldn't have actually known they did it at the <laughs> time. Mark McLemore played for every team currently in the AL West, but when he was on the Astros, they were actually in the NL. Uh, and then a guy named Ted Savage played for every team currently in the NL Central. But again, he played for the Milwaukee Brewers when they were an AL team, so he would not have thought that he was playing for every team in, in the same league, much less in the same division. And then hockey is the rarest for this uh, if you look at current divisions. So there are only four divisions in the NHL right now, and each of them has, I think, seven or eight teams, which makes it really difficult for you to appear for every team in a given division. Uh, so I went back to 1943. That was the start of the original six era, and no player has been a member of every team in any of the modern divisions. The closest anyone came was Dominic Moore. He played for six of the eight teams in the Atlantic. He did not play for the Senators or Red Wings. And uh, two more guys, Andrew Burnett and Tony Herkus, played for five of the seven teams in the Central right now. Uh, hot takedown favorite Yaramir Yager only played for five of the eight teams in the Metropolitan Division, despite playing for what felt like approximately 50 years. <laughs> uh, but I think it's fair to cheat a little when it comes to hockey because of the you know, large divisions that they had. If you go back before 2013, each conference had three divisions apiece, which I think is much more reasonable, certainly more in line with the other sports. And if you look at players that played for all of those teams, there were two that did it in their careers. Aaron Asham played for every team in the old Atlantic division and Jim Dowd played for every member uh, of the old Northwest division. Uh, and I think all of this is to say that Hogan is in a uh, category that's both very obscure and also very exclusive. Uh, you know, it's rare to stick around long enough to play for so many teams to begin with, but also rare to be passed around uh, among a group of teams that play each other so much and are so familiar with each other where you would think, you know, teams go out of their way to avoid trading with teams in the division. That makes it much harder, I think, to, to collect all of the teams in the division. But for Hogan, you know, he's done it once now. Uh, and I think he should use this experience with the Carolina Panthers last year as a springboard to find his way onto the Falcons, Saints, and Buccaneers next, and then become the first player in pro sports to join every team in not just one, but two 
different divisions. You did it. <laughs> you did it. You 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 managed to work Jimmy Dowd into the podcast. The pride <laughs> of Brick, New Jersey. I, you know, I'm and the I'm cup dis- winner for the Devils. I am dismayed though that there was no mention of Bartolo Colon. I thought for sure he when you started looking at this, I thought, oh, Bartolo for sure has played for every team so that must make sense but or, no or, or what about octavio dotel i mean he's played for every team in baseball so i guess he's played <laughs> for all divisions yeah i thought that you know those two guys i think spread it out more across the divisions and i thought of dotel especially because uh early hot takedown listeners will will remember we even had a rabbit hole on him becoming the player who played for the most different teams uh and yet somehow uh you know some guys just spread it out across a bunch of different divisions whereas some guys are like look i like to play for nl east teams or or whatever it is i'm i'm vamping because i am actually looking up bartolo cologne because i want to (laughs) know the most teams that he ever played for in a division was just three he played for three of the five teams in the al west texas oakland and anaheim so he was he was not a collector he he really was more about the the spirit of the game because he played for three teams in the nl east as well he played for the mets the braves and the nationals uh Oh my God. And also in the AL Central, he played for Minnesota, the White Sox, <laughs> and the Indians. Uh, and then he had two AL East teams as well. So he, he was a well rounded uh, division collector. He was like, you know, I want to play for three of the five teams in three different divisions. Uh, we need a scoring system for, you know, the impressiveness of the different uh, <laughs> ranges of collections. What about Ricky? Yeah. I mean, Ricky was definitely on the Yankees, the Blue Jays. Wasn't he on the, I feel like he was on the Red Sox. Uh, yeah, he was on the Red Sox, Blue Jays, and Yankees, but those that was it for his AL East career. He was also on Seattle, Oakland, and Anaheim in the AL West, yeah. uh, and then you, you know you kind of tail off after that. So again, it's not the guys that you would think of. It's not the guys that uh, some of these guys that they played for like five teams in a division, and those were their only five teams. You know, it's it's, it's not the ones necessarily that played for the most different teams. I have no memory of Ricky on Anaheim. Okay. I, I guess I have no memory of him on any specific team except for the A's and maybe the Yankees and the Mets. <laughs> and then it was just a bunch of random one stops. Padres? Ah, uh, Padres. Okay. I remember Padres for him. Uh, yeah, he was on the Angels uh, for a brief stint in the second half of the 1997 season uh, after he had been traded by the Padres before he would rejoin the Oakland A's for another tour of duty, uh, which I believe was yeah. his fourth non-consecutive tour of duty with the A's. And then <laughs> he went to the Mets and then the Mariners, Padres, again, uh, Red Sox and Dodgers. Remember him on the Red Sox? That's bizarre. I remember him on the Newark Bear, too. So that's that's. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't count. Or NL East, but what division is that in? <laughs> so in, in two weeks when it's baseball's trade deadline. Yes, that's right. That's in two weeks. I think we should do a, a rabbit hole on random trade deadline moves in baseball where guy because like there are a lot of guys who were played for a couple months with a team and then never again and i can never remember those stints at all like yeah what i didn't remember any of that about ricky henderson that's crazy um those are so fun though i like i like those the like random jerseys people found themselves in because of the trade deadline i'm on it I can get that on your desk by end of day. Yep, I've assigned you a rabbit hole. I love it. (laughs) 
All right, well, that will do it for that rabbit hole and for this week's show. We will be back in your feed next Tuesday. If you like what you heard, please subscribe. If you are subscribed, again, please rate and review us. I'm desperate to read your reviews. It helps new people discover the show along with entertaining me. You can also email us at podcast at 538.com to let us know what you think. Our podcast producer is Sarah Shackett. Tony Chow is in the virtual control room. And our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. For Neil and Jeff, I'm Sarah. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.